I pray that you will take the words that I speak now and that you will breathe life into them, that they will minister life to the people who are here this morning, life to the people who are watching on social media. Lord, I thank you that it is your words, Lord, and I pray that you will use me this morning to communicate life and the words that you want to speak to the people who are here. I thank you for your presence, Lord, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that every heart here will be open and will be receptive to what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning I'm carrying on with the series that um, Pastor David has been ministering about receiving divine help. And the um, title this morning is Receiving Divine Help for Professional Excellence. So as an introduction, professional excellence, what is that? So basically, it's excellence in our profession or our job, whatever this may be. Now, I don't know, for some of you, you may have seen the title of the message this morning and thought, oh, that's not really going to be relevant to me. I don't think I've really got a profession. But I just want to let you know right from the beginning that this includes everyone. It includes stay-at-home mums. In my opinion, that's one of the most important jobs that there is for those mums and dads who stay at home and bring up their children. That's really important. It includes students. It includes cleaners. It includes every vocation, whatever your job is. You don't have to be in a profession that the world labels successful to live an excellent life. And I really believe that God's given me a word today that will minister to all of you, whatever you are doing in life at the moment. And then the other part of that is receiving divine help. And this is what gives us the edge. The world relies on their natural talents, their natural abilities. And as Pastor David said in the very first week of this series, some people do achieve great success without God. They do achieve great success based on their own talents, their own abilities. But often this is only outward success and it's not true inward excellence. And this series has been all about achieving that true excellence and the prosperity that comes from God. You know, we have the advantage, we have the huge privilege of drawing on the help of God, on his limitless resources, his wisdom, his power. I mean, for me personally, God has given me a gifting as a teacher. That's what I do. I'm a primary school teacher. And God has given me skills and giftings to enable me to do that. But believe me, there've been times when this has not been enough. And I can honestly say that I would not still be in the teaching profession if it wasn't for God who's seen me through. And also if it wasn't for the fact that God has given me Keith, who's given me a good push when I've needed it, a good telling off when I've needed it and supported me through the tough times. So natural giftings and abilities, while they're good and not enough, we need to draw on the power of God as well, on his divine help. So today I'm going to look at two aspects. Firstly, what does professional excellence look like? And then secondly, how can we achieve this? So first of all, what does professional excellence look like? So as I've just said, basically, it means success, prosperity in our job or in our vocation, whatever it is that we're working at right now. It means performing well, achieving good results, advancing in our job, receiving a good salary, 
getting on well with the people we work with, all of these things. And I believe there are eight principles that we can apply that will lead us to success and prosperity in our job. These are certain characteristics that we need to display. Now, today, I'm going to be looking a lot at the life of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is our example. He is our example of God on the earth. Did he achieve success in his job? Yes, huge success. Everywhere he went, people were healed, delivered, helped, set free. Now, also, contrary to what some people think, Jesus' ministry was prosperous. In fact, he had to have a treasurer to handle the money that came in and out of his ministry. Now, we can see in the Gospels, the majority of that was used to help people, to help the poor, to give to people. But Jesus's ministry was very successful. And we can see all of these eight principles that we're going to look at now operating in the life of Jesus. So the first one that I want to look at is integrity or honesty. Now, Jesus would not compromise his integrity, even when he was tempted. You, most of you probably know the account in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 4, of when Jesus was tempted by the devil right at the beginning of his ministry. So I'm just going to say the devil came, Jesus was weak, he hadn't eaten, he'd fasted for 40 days, and the devil came to tempt him. The devil tried to get him to compromise his integrity, to go against the word of God. Okay, but what did Jesus say? He said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So Jesus would not compromise his integrity. If we can have a look together at Psalm 51 and verse 6. Hopefully that will be up on the screen. So Psalm 51 and verse 6. And this tells us what God asks of us with regard to integrity. It says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. So God desires truth. He wants us to speak the truth, to do the right thing, even when it's hard. Sometimes in your job, at work, it may be really hard to do that. You may see people around you who are advancing through cheating, through lying. You might think, that's not fair. Maybe you'll be tempted. Well, it doesn't matter if I just do this, if I just cut this corner, if I just tell this small lie, well, you know, no one will know. It will help me to advance. No. We need to trust God to advance us and to walk in integrity. Because, you know, when we're walking in integrity, it gives us confidence there's nothing secret, nothing hidden. Other people will respect and trust us when we're people of our word. Now every day when you work, when you go to work, we pick up a phrase, contamination from the world. Um, a great Bible teacher, Terry Law, I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, I've read one of his books recently, which has been excellent. And he talks about the contamination of life 
that we pick up just from being in the world. We can't live in our prayer corner. We can't live in church all of the time. We have to go and do our jobs. But that help that does cause us to pick up. You might you might hear swearing around us. You see things that aren't godly. Okay, some of that rubs off on us. So we need daily cleansing. What can cleanse us? What does God say is the water? It's the word. The water of the word. In Ephesians 5, 26. To walk in integrity, you need to make sure that every day you are cleansing yourself with the water of the word. Okay, the word can sanctify us. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says, sanctify them by your word. And then in Psalm 119, verse 9, we read that we can cleanse our way by taking heed to the word of God. Okay, so that's the first characteristic, the first principle that can help us to achieve excellence at work integrity. If we just have a quick look to finish this little bit of Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 3. This shows us how important integrity is. Proverbs 11 verse 3 says the integrity of the upright will guide them. Okay, but that the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. So I know it's hard, but don't be tempted to think this little sin won't matter. I can do that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anything. That leads to destruction. But when you are, when you walk in integrity, when you are an honest person, that will guide you. It will guide you to excellence and to success. Secondly, is consistency reliability. I said you'll find what I'm going to say to you today isn't up there somewhere. Hopefully it's going to be really practical. It's going to be things that you can actually apply in your life and in your work. So being a consistent person, being reliable. If we look at John chapter 6 and verse 38 to look at Jesus' example. Okay, John 6, 38, Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus knew that he had come to do God's will. And we see this consistently through the Gospels. Jesus didn't deviate from that. He was consistent in doing what God had called him and asked him and anointed him to do. And the same needs to be true of us. That we see things through to the end. We're reliable. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. Okay, it's the simple things sometimes. Punctuality, being on time, being faithful. We know the story in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus talks about the men who were given, or the people who were given the talents. They were given talents to go out and sow. God has given you talents to use in your work. And he wants you to use them, to multiply them, not to hide them, not to think, oh, someone else will do that. No, you are the person that God has called to use those talents. And then God promises in that um, parable in Matthew 25, if you are faithful over little, then God will make you ruler over much. Maybe you feel that where you are now is little. It's not much. It's not very significant. 
Okay? But be faithful. If it's where God has put you now, then be faithful and then watch as God promotes you and as God takes you on in your journey. Something else to do with being consistent, don't complain. Don't be negative. Again, this isn't always easy for, for me personally. About halfway through last year, I went through a bit of a difficult patch and there was no reason why. I just felt really down and I felt like nothing had changed. My job was going fairly well. Everything was fine at home. And I just felt a bit down, a bit low. And one day I went to God and I'm like, God, you know, why, why am I like this? It's not really any reason. And God showed me that I'd started to, be, to complain. I'd started to be negative, even, not even all the time out loud, but just in my mind. I was looking at the bad things. I was looking at the negative things. And God showed me, no, don't do that. You know, look at the good things. Find those things that are good in your situation. Find the things that I've blessed you with, the good things. And when I started to do that, do you know, I found loads of them, and you all will, because God has blessed you, God has given you so much, so don't fall into the trap of complaining and of being negative, but be consistent in thanking God and in appreciating what he's given you. So, number three, okay, this is our third characteristic for excellence, and that's continual learning. Being open to new things. Now I love the story of Jesus when he was a young boy. I think he was around about 12 years old. And I love telling this story to children at school. Luke chapter 2 tells us the story of how Jesus got lost. Okay, him and his family went to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was the first time that Jesus had travelled to Jerusalem. So he went, they went with a big group of people, like it was a couple of days' journey from Nazareth where they lived to Jerusalem. And they went and celebrated Passover in the temple. Then the party that had gone set off back home, and it was only later on that night when they were settling to sleep that Mary and Joseph started looking for Jesus. And all of those of you who are parents can imagine straight away how they must have felt. Where is he? Where is he? The panic as they went around all their friends were, is Jesus with you? Where is he? And in the end, they had to make that day's journey back to Jerusalem, rushing around full of fear, worry, where is he? Where's Jesus? We've lost him. And then you know where they found him? In the temple. Okay, they found him in the temple. Even at 12 years old, all that Jesus wanted to do was to learn and to be taught and to learn more about God. If we look at verse 46 of Luke chapter 2, so it was that after three days, with parents, imagine that, three days of looking for your lost child, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. Then verse 47, all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Now Jesus was God's son. You might have said all people, he didn't really need to be in the temple. He's, he's God's son, he knows everything. But Jesus put himself in a position of continually learning and growing and wanting to be taught and to receive knowledge. 
And that's what we need to do. Obviously, from the Bible, spiritually, but also in your profession, in your job. If you want to be excellent in your job, then further your learning. Seek knowledge. Make sure you're open to learn things. Read. Go on courses. Learn from others. My book there, use technology. I'm not a huge... I love technology, I think it's amazing, but it's not my most favourite thing to use. But it can be a huge tool to use to advance your knowledge and to find things out. Make sure that you've got an open heart and be soft and pliable to new things. And then also be open to change. Now, this is not comfortable, but it is a very necessary part of the journey to excellence. From my own life, um, up until the age of 18, very little changed for me. I lived in the same house. My mum and dad still live there now. I went to the store around the corner. Life has progressed very nicely with very little change, very little upheaval. And then I met Keith, and we got married. And from that point on, I've had to get used to quite a bit of change. We've been married for 25 years now, and God has taken us on an amazing journey. And there have been, there's been a lot of changes, a lot more to begin with. It was very, very uncomfortable for me. I was a little local girl. I was used to change. I didn't like change. I like things to just stay the same and be consistent. But when I look back now on the last 25 years, even though it hasn't all been easy, some things have been very hard, I can see the amazing journey that God's brought us on so far. And obviously we've still got a long way to go. But you have to be open to change. Don't fear it. Okay? If you want to progress, if you want to achieve excellence, there will be things that need to change. And there will be changes that God brings your way. So be open to that. Ask for God's help. Ask for God's grace. And he will help you to go with the changes that need to happen. Then alongside that, number four, giving your best, working hard. Again, for some of us that can be a bit of a, oh, all of us who look at children at school and sometimes trying to get them to do their homework, trying to get them to revise. You over there. <laughs> it's not always the easiest thing, but it pays huge rewards at the end. And that's what we have to teach our children. But sometimes we teach our children that you must work, you must do your homework, you must revise, and then we go off to work and don't give our best. And we might be sitting, drinking a cup of coffee, chatting. I'm not saying never do that, because obviously that's important. We all need time to do that as well. But what I am saying is, make sure that you're working hard at what you've been called to do. If we look at Mark chapter 1, and we'll have a look at Jesus. And when I read this passage when I was preparing, it opened my eyes again to the level of hard work that Jesus gave when he ministered on the earth. If we look at Mark chapter 1, reading from verse 32 to 39, and just think about what Jesus was doing here. It says, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Now, this is evening, okay? He's already worked all day. If you read earlier in the passage, you'll see the things that he's already done that day. Now, most of us, we've been working all day, and then we come home, right? I deserve to do nothing now. Kick off our shoes, 
television on, tea please, and that's it, want to do nothing all evening. And again, I'm not saying that's not fine, because we do need to relax as well. But Jesus, and this was evening, okay, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Imagine that, in the evening, all these people coming to you to draw from you again. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So that must have gone on way into the night. Then look at verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Verse 37. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Then verse 39. He was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. What a day, what a night. Up early the next morning before daylight to pray. Why? Verse 38. For this purpose I have come forth. So Jesus knew his purpose and he worked hard to fulfill it. It will take time, it will take effort, it will involve sacrifice. But believe me, the result will be worth it. In Colossians chapter 3, just going to read it to you, Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Okay, this is what God asks of us, Colossians 3. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Now some of you might be working for bosses who maybe don't do that much themselves. Some of you might be working with people who are lazy, who don't pull their weight. And you might think, well, hold on a minute, why should I do this when they're not? Why should I do this when my boss isn't doing anything? You know, he's just sitting in there, going to meetings, he's not working hard. Why should I do it? Because that's where God's put you. And because you're not serving men, you're serving God. And God has called you to work hard to fulfill the purpose that he's given you to do. So it's God who's placed you there. You're working for him. Okay, God can't bless laziness. Keith often says, God can only move a vessel that's already moving. Okay, you imagine that with a big ship. Okay, if the ship is in harbour, it's really difficult to get it moving. But once it's out on the sea, once it's already moving, then the wind can come and it can go faster and faster. You need to be moving, you need to be working, you need to be doing things for God to be able to bless you, promote you, and move you forward. So that was number four, hard work. Number five, another characteristic or principle for excellence in our profession is humility. If we could turn to Philippians chapter 2, please, verses 5 to 8. 
So Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Jesus humbled himself more than any other person ever has. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was an incredibly humble man, but he also knew who he was. He wasn't a doormat. In Luke 4.18, we see him standing up in the temple, in the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry, confident to say what God had called him to do. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. Okay, being humble doesn't mean hiding in the shadows and letting everyone tread all over you. Now, I just want to show you a little example here. My daughter said to me this morning, Mum, why on earth are you taking scales to church? <laughs> now, I'm a teacher, I'm a primary school teacher, so a lot of what I do with the children is visual, object lessons, things to help them. And in one of our school assemblies a couple of months ago, I used this illustration to show the children what humility was. And so I just want to show you now the slides to go up, hopefully. Um, there we go. So, if you think of some weighing scales, okay, I want you to imagine that you are on one side and that the other side is others, other people. Okay? And you might look at somebody else, maybe someone you work with, someone at home, someone you know, and you might think, I'm better than them. They're stupid. They can't do anything right. Look at them. That's something really stupid to do. I'm a lot better than that. We can put the next slide up. Okay? And that's what happens. When you are proud, when you think too much of yourself, you're putting other people down. And when the scales look like that, can you help other people? Are you close to them? Can you show them God's love? No, because you've elevated yourself all the way up here and the other people are all the way down there. That's not humility. Now that's probably the side of humility that you already know. You think, yeah, I know that. To be humble means I mustn't put other people down. I've got to see other people as being good. Not being big-headed, not thinking too much of yourself. Okay, that's right. But I do want to show you another side of being humble as well. Because if we look at the other side of it, you might be someone who thinks, I'm no good. Everyone else is better than me. I can never do anything right. There's no point me even trying. I'm going to make a mess of this. And what's happened now? Now you are all the way down here. Can you help other people now? Can you show them God's love? 
No, because there's still an inequality. Now, you're all the way down here, and you see other people up there. I can never help them. I haven't got anything to offer to them. That's not being humble, okay? I used to think that being humble meant letting other people do whatever they wanted. Being a doormat, letting them treat me badly, and just having to accept it because I'm humble. But it doesn't mean that. That's not how God sees you. Can you just put up the next slide for me? Being humble is seeing yourself the way God sees you and seeing other people the way God sees them. Okay, that is true humility. It's not putting other people down, but it's also not putting yourself down. Okay, it's seeing yourself the way God sees you and seeing other people the way God sees them because then you're on the same level. Okay, imagine those weighing scales when they're balanced. Okay, you and other people are on the same level. It means you can help them. It means you can work with them. You need to see it this way, even if you're a leader or a boss. In fact, especially if you're a leader. Remember Jesus? He washed his disciples' feet. And that's what God's asking of us. Okay, so if you're a boss, you're a leader, then remember the scales. Be humble. Okay, see it like that. You're working with the people that you are at work with. You're not above them, but you're also not below them. And don't forget to be thankful, because part of being humble is recognising that the good things in your life, the skills, the talents that God's given you, they come from God. So remember to thank him for them, value them, appreciate them. Okay, when you do something well, celebrate it. That's a good way of, there is a good proud. Okay, I say that to the children in my class. It's okay to feel proud when you've done something well. You know, that's a good feeling. Just don't feel proud in a way that elevates you above other people. Okay, but be thankful. Be thankful to God for the good things, for the skills, the gifts and talents that he's given you. Right. Number six. Okay, the sixth characteristic of professional excellence is good communication. Okay, communication skills. This is really important. So you can look in Luke at Luke chapter 4, verse 32. So this is Jesus when he was teaching. It says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was authority. When Jesus communicated and taught God's word, he spoke with authority, with clarity. He communicated life to people. But when you read the Gospels, he also spoke with gentleness to children, to old people to poor people, he had a great ability to communicate. Now, not, not everyone is called to speak in the pulpit, but we are all called to communicate God's love. And the place where you work, where you are every day, that is one of the main places that you can do that. So watch how you speak to others. Be strong when necessary. There were times in the Bible when Jesus was very, very strong. When he said, so we forget that sometimes, he said some very strong words to people in the Bible. But make sure that you're speaking in love. The Bible says, doesn't it, speak the truth in love. Be positive, 
in your communication with other people. Remember to be humble, as we've just spoken about. And then adapt yourself to others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22, Paul is talking about his ministry. Paul was another man who was an amazing communicator in his teaching, also obviously in his writing, if you read the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. And Paul said that he became different things to the people he was speaking to. Okay, verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now I watch my husband sometimes. I watch Keith when we travel, when he ministers to people, and he is brilliant at doing this. He's very good at adapting himself and he's not compromising. I'm not talking about compromising or sinning, but I'm just talking about adapting your communication, your style, the way you are when you're with different people. If I was at school now, speaking to my class of four and five-year-olds, I wouldn't be communicating to them like this, apart from the weighing scales maybe, but I wouldn't be speaking to them the way I'm speaking to you. I've adapted my communication to speak to you today, and that's what you need to do at work, depending who you're speaking to, what situation it is, to ask God to help you to develop those communication skills. Number seven, okay, really important, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. If we can just have a look, please, in Galatians chapter five. In Galatians chapter 5, we find the list of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure many of you know them. It wasn't that long ago when the children did a super presentation of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something, if you've grown up in church, in Sunday school, it's something that you would have learned in Sunday school. Okay, so Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, like I've just said, I learned that when I was at Sunday school. I was probably about six or seven years old when I learned that list. We drew pictures of fruit. We sang about it. We did... The only problem is... Sometimes we can just see it as a passive list of pleasant qualities. Oh yeah, that's really nice. That's great. That's cute. Those, those things are nice. But that's not what the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is pure spiritual power. Gloria Copeland says this. The fruit of the Spirit are not weak, they're strong. They're so strong that if you'll let them flow out of you, they'll correct the problems in your life, they'll keep you steadfast, they'll keep you on your feet when the storms of life come. Let's have a look at that list again. Love, I'm going to come to that in a minute. Joy, what does joy look like at work? When everyone else is moaning and complaining, when things are really hard, when there's a problem with the business, 
What does joy look like? It's not just being silly and being happy for no reason, but it's knowing that inward joy from God, the joy that gives you strength, that helps you to keep everyone positive at work. We as Christians should have people looking at us at work saying, how can you be so cheerful? How can you be so calm when things are really bad? Look at the economic environment. Look at what's going on. Look at what's happening at work. And you can say, I've got the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I know that God will keep me no matter what else is happening. And that's what gives me joy. Peace. That's the same when everything else is going wrong around you. You can keep peace. You don't have to be the person running around at work panicking. You can sit there, pray, say, God, show me what to do in this situation. Keep peace. Be an example to the people you work with of your trust in God and the way that you maintain peace even when the storms are blowing all around you. Long-suffering is a good one. Sometimes we all need to have long-suffering, to be patient at work. I need a lot of patience in my job, and I'm sure a lot of you do as well. Okay, but God can give us the strength to be long-suffering, to be patient, okay, to be kind, to be good, to be faithful. We've already looked at that consistency, faithfulness, keeping going, to be gentle, okay, gentle. Some people are more naturally gentle than others. At home, naturally as a person, I would be more gentle than Keith would be. And yet Keith has learned how to be really gentle, how to use the fruit of the Spirit to be gentle when necessary. Okay? And again, self-control. Sometimes we all need self-control at work. When the children in the class are playing up and making noise and all I want to do is go, ah! self-controlled, okay, respond appropriately, and that's something that you all need to do, whatever your job is as well, okay, Jesus showed all of these fruits in his life, now obviously that would be a message on its own, to have a look at that, but I challenge you, in your own Bible study, go and look through the Gospels, and look for the fruit of the Spirit, and find ways in the Gospels that Jesus demonstrated each one of these fruits. So just remember, next time you hear something about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a passive list. It's not something just for, for wimps or for however you want to look at it. It's a, it's a list of power, strong power that can help you to be really strong as a Christian and to demonstrate excellence. And then finally, this is part, first part, number eight, the eighth characteristic or principle for excellence walking in love. Now I've left it until last, but it is actually the most important thing because love sums everything else up. If you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians and the very last verse of chapter 12. One Corinthians twelve verse thirty one says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now that's what we're looking at this morning, excellence. So we need to really take notice 
But the Bible says, I will show you a more excellent way. And then 1 Corinthians 13 introduces us to love. Well, actually, it doesn't introduce us to love because you can find love through the whole Bible. But this is the chapter that really unpacks what love is. If we go down to verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, a little bit like with the fruit of the Spirit, sometimes when we start talking about love, we hear it so much in church, we can sometimes be tempted to switch off, to say, oh, I know about love, you know, I know about that, you know, I hear about that so much. But what does it really look like at work? I just want to read two verses to you from the Amplified Bible. If you've never read 1 Corinthians 13 in the Amplified Bible, I'd really encourage you to do it because it brings to life what these words actually mean. I'm going to read verse 5. If you think about this at work, love does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy, or fretful, or resentful. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. That can be really hard when wrong is done to you. Okay, it's so easy to become touchy, to become resentful. That's not fair. But what does love do? Love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. And that's not being weak. That's actually being strong. There is incredible strength in love. Verse 7, this is my favourite verse. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Okay, whatever is thrown at you at work, if you walk in love, you can handle it. Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Even that person that really gets on your nerves, the person who won't do what you ask them to do, the person who doesn't pull their weight at work. Love believes the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever's happening at work, if you walk in love, you can have hope. Okay, that things are going to change. It endures everything without weakening. That is really, really powerful. I don't know if any of you have been watching I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. We've really enjoyed watching that as a family over the last few weeks. Okay, not everything about it is great. But what I've been really, um, what's really spoken to me through watching it has been watching Nick Knowles and seeing his example of love in that camp. Because time after time, he has given up things himself for the people that he's there with. I was almost in tears when I watched the episode. They all receive a luxury from home. They have to do a challenge to be able to get their items from home. And it's something that they've chosen before they went in the jungle that means a lot to them. So when Nick got his luxury item, it was a pillow. 
And I was there thinking, wow, I think that's what I'd asked for. If I was in the jungle for those three weeks, lying on those uncomfortable beds, that's what I'd want. So I was thinking, oh, good for Nick. And then do you know what he did? He took the pillow and he said, the reason I asked for this pillow was so that I could help if someone was really struggling. And he gave the pillow to Anne Hegarty. And I was watching going, I didn't see that coming. He'd, he'd done a challenge, he'd worked to get that luxury item, it's what he'd chosen, and yet he gave it away. Okay, that's what love does. There is huge power in love. Verse 8, love never fails. In fact, I was just doing my daily reading this morning of all things, and I was reading something that Kenneth Copeland had written, and it was entitled, Love, the Secret of Success. And that's what we're talking about this morning, what can help us to succeed in our jobs. And even though all of the things I've talked to you about are really important, love is the number one thing, the best way. Jesus operated in love, and he commands us to do the same. We all know the commandment, John 15, verse 12, when Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, those are eight principles, eight characteristics, okay? This is what professional excellence looks like. Now, people can earn a lot of money, but not operate in excellence. I said in my introduction, people can advance far in a career. You might know people like that, but they've trodden on other people to get there. And ultimately, this only leads to emptiness. These people may look successfully outwardly, but not have true satisfaction and inward success. If we look at John chapter 6, verse 27... John 6, verse 27, Jesus says to us, Do not labour for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. We need to make sure that we're labouring for true food, okay, that we're working for true excellence, inward excellence, and that will lead us to outward success as well, okay? But just outward success on its own is not enough. God wants us to be excellent as people, inwardly and outwardly. Now, as you've been listening to me this morning, I'm sure you've been thinking, this is a really tall order. How can we achieve this? Certainly not in our own strength, but the second part of the title, divine help. God is ever present and ever ready to help us. We can receive divine help. So very quickly now, there are five ways that we can access God's help. Firstly, we need to put God first. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Even Jesus said that he could do nothing of himself. He said that in John 5. Jesus, the Son of God, needed to put God first and rely on God's help. And that's what we need to do. What does that look like for you practically? 
What does it mean for you to put God first in your life? I don't know. Maybe it means getting up early to pray. Maybe it means remembering before you make decisions to ask God. Okay, not just to rely on your own understanding, to ask God. Maybe it means giving up some TV time, giving up a hobby. Maybe it means being at church, being at, taking part in the Bible study. I don't know, you pray and ask God for you. What does it mean for me, God, to put you first in my life? What is it that you want me to do? The second way to access God's help is to seek the wisdom of God. Our scripture reading this morning from Proverbs 8 was all about that wisdom. In verse 6 it says, Wisdom is talking, saying, Listen, for I will speak of excellent things. So wisdom leads to excellence. It's more than just knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. You may know lots of things, but unless you know how to apply that knowledge to use it in your job, it won't help you. Three ways that we can find God's wisdom in the Word of God. We've talked a lot about the Word. Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of your Word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Through prayer. Okay, we need to seek the Lord. Um, Pastor Cephas said it brilliantly this morning. Seek after God. Seek after God. Isaiah chapter 55. Just look at it very quickly now. When we seek the Lord, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. When we do that, he will rain down his wisdom. If you go when you go home and read the rest of that chapter, and you'll see how God will rain down his wisdom. It says he will bring it to pass in your life. What will he bring to pass? Your success, the things you've been dreaming about, the promises that God has given you. Your part is to seek God, to call on him. James 1, verse 5 and 6. Ask God for wisdom. Okay, that's what the Bible tells us to do. When we ask God for wisdom, expect him to give you the answers. And not just vague, sometimes we pray and we don't expect God to really speak to us. But expect God to speak to you. Okay, expect think of Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible. God gave him specific wisdom for situations that he was involved in. So not just faith, expect God to answer you specifically for the wisdom you need in your job. And then we can also access God's wisdom through speaking in tongues. In Romans 8, verse 26 says, When we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit gives us the utterance. We can speak in tongues and expect God to give us the interpretation. It may not come immediately. More often for me, it's when I'm in bed at night. That's often when I get a lot of the ideas for what I teach in school. Okay, the key is to be expecting. In James, James 1 verse 6 says, Ask in faith with no doubting. So trust God to help you in your job. Trust him to give you the wisdom that you need. The third way to access divine help, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus didn't even start his ministry until the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism. And the disciples didn't begin their ministry until they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. If you remember, that was complete transformation. They don't take the power of the Holy Spirit for granted. It's a huge privilege. The Holy Spirit is God in you. Okay, so acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit. Build yourself up by speaking in tongues. Rely on His power. Number four, I am nearly there that now. Fourth way to access divine help, watch what you say. We've already talked about the importance of what we say. Jesus said in John 6, 63, my words are spirits and they are life. Okay, we need to be speaking God's words over our own lives, over our own jobs. Our words carry power. God created the whole world with his words and we create our future by what we say. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Okay, they're subject to change. We need to be speaking the word of God, speaking life over your job, over your life, and then see the circumstances change as you speak life. And then number five, finally, the final way to receive divine help is to receive help, be open to help from God's people, from the people that God has put around you. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Okay, where there is no counsel, the people fail, but in the multitude of counsellors, there is safety. God has put people around you who can help and complement your skills and your abilities, even if you don't always see it. Remember, iron sharpens iron. So it may even be those people who rub you up the wrong way sometimes, who get on your nerves, but actually, God has put there to help you to achieve excellence. But also, as well as receiving help from other people, make sure that you are training others up, that you're reproducing yourself in others, that you're imparting life to others. God has not made us to be alone. We succeed when others succeed too. Too many people just focus on themselves. It's all about them. And then their success dies with them. And that's why parenting is such a high calling. Because as parents, we can pass our success on to our children. And it can live way beyond our own lifetime. So I'm sorry I've run over a little bit. But I am going to conclude now. Thank you for your patience. Okay, I have given you a lot to think about today, so I'd really encourage you to go away, to listen again, to make notes. Let God highlight the areas that you need to work on. Write them down, stick them up at home, put them in your Bible. You know, there's no point listening to sermons next week if it doesn't affect your life and it doesn't change what you do on a day-to-day basis. So, we've looked at the eight principles that we can apply and we've looked at how we can achieve this by drawing on God's divine help. And I just want to finish now, if you could turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. 